Really quick before we get started, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast or followed the OrthoPlug on Instagram and Twitter, please do so. And while you're at it, if you can leave a review on the podcast, that would be amazing and would really help us out a lot. You will make it through if you find a way to forgive yourself for not being perfect. You know, we are so focused on being perfect in medicine and banking, whatever it is, like our, you know, human race. And I think especially in this country, we're just so focused on perfection, so focused on being the best that sometimes we don't forgive ourselves for just not being there yet. It doesn't mean you won't get there. It doesn't mean that you won't eventually reach there. But like Serena Williams wasn't always Serena Williams, you know, like Tiger Woods wasn't always Tiger Woods. All of these legends, they had their moments where they weren't there yet. And at some point they just like all of a sudden they were the goat. Like it wasn't like it wasn't like, oh, like I was on this path and and I see myself being the goat. It was like all of a sudden they won 12 grand slams and now they're the goat. Like, you know, it you eventually make it there. But the way the people that never give up are not the people who are perfect, are not the people who are like excellent at all times. They're the people that find a way to forgive themselves for not being there yet. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Ortho Plug, the podcast where I get to speak with some of the most successful, inspiring, and really just dopest orthopedic surgeons in the country. And one of the things that make them particularly special is they either come from unrepresented backgrounds or they are actively supporting those that do. This episode is truly incredible where I have the immense honor and privilege of speaking with Dr. Josie Okendo, an intern at the Hospital for Special Surgery. Josie went to undergrad at UPenn, where she majored in bioengineering and biomedical engineering. She stuck around for a year where she got a master's at UPenn in engineering, specifically robotics engineering. Then she headed west to Stanford Medical School, ended up taking a research year and focused on, as you probably guessed by now, a little bit of engineering, specifically 3D topographical scanning as a tool in surgical and interventional decision making. And now she headed back to the East Coast, back to her home, New York City to go to HSS Hospital for Special Surgery for residency. In this episode, she talks about how staying true to her interests and embracing her unique path ultimately led to much of the success that she's experienced. And she also highlights how we can address some of the negative thoughts and feelings we are sure to experience throughout our training and careers. Believe me when I say this episode was absolutely phenomenal, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Welcome back to the OrthoPlug podcast. We have an absolute heavy hitter here, Dr. Josie Okendo, first year orthopedic resident at HSS. I feel like I need to say like the HSS because it's like kind of like the <laughs> HSS. But thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Josie, for joining the show. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And also, um, happy Hispanic Heritage Month. I know that you're like, you know, those Puerto Rican roots are, are deep for you. So happy uh, Hispanic Heritage Month. Yes, they are very deep. And it's, you know, very timely that this has happened, you know, that it's like Hispanic Heritage Month right now because Bad Bunny just released his video for El Apagón, which is like our new national anthem. And it actually turned out to be a 20 minute documentary on everything that's going on in Puerto Rico right now. So, you know, it's it's very timely that he released that right now. And, and you know, that, that I happen to be here today. Wow. <laughs> that, was, that was literally yesterday. So, <laughs> wow, that's wild. Look at the timeliness of that. And I'm definitely going to check that out. And, you know, part of the purpose of this is to be able to hear from voices in the field of orthopedics who come from underrepresented backgrounds like yourself. Um, and so for you to, again, be able to, I think, expand your voice at this time, you know, I think is going to be perfect. The first question that I have is, um, you know, where did this interest in medicine and ultimately the interest in orthopedics come from? I like to kind of hear people's stories because I think that's some of the most powerful things that we can hear. So those are two very separate stories um, for me. It's kind of, kind of a strange bird that way. Uh, but my my first one, you know, the interest in medicine, 
I think early on, you know, it sounds kind of cliche, but I, early on, I had an inkling that I might want to head in this direction, you know, whether it was medicine, physical therapy, social work, uh, kind of the service to human beings industry was really appealing to me. And it's because the care that my family was getting uh, in Puerto Rico and in Florida is just not the, it's not the high quality care that I was seeing on TV on episodes of scrubs and things like that. You know, like I felt like providers were frustrated with my family because they couldn't communicate with them properly. And I, I just felt even when I was like six years old and visiting family in the hospital that, you know, I just felt like my family members weren't getting the care that they deserved. And I imagined, you know, we're not incredibly well off, but we weren't the poorest of the poor when I was growing up. And so I was like, if we're being treated like this, like how are the very poor being treated? How are the people who don't have the money to even be here being treated? No wonder they're waiting to go to the hospital until they're, you know, very critically ill. And I remember thinking that was just like a huge driver. And as I progressed through high school, um, I, I volunteered at a hospital and, and I saw the same thing. You know, I grew up in upstate New York and there were just aren't very many Latinos up there. And the few that were up there, you know, they wouldn't call interpreters and they would ask me as like a high schooler to interpret for them. Um, and I just remember thinking that this doesn't feel right. I feel like there needs to be more of us. Um, and that, that really has been my driver from the beginning. Like there are those days when I went to Penn for undergrad that I was in the library at three in the morning thinking, what am I doing? Like I could be all my friends in the business school are just like out enjoying their lives. Why am I struggling like this for no reason? And then I remember my reason, you know, like I visit family and, um, they're all so excited because they're like, wow, we're going to have a voice. We're going to have a voice. That's what I kept hearing as I progressed through undergrad and through high school. And that's always been a major fire under me. It just no matter how many times I struggle, I always remember that like, this is more, this is not for you. This is for everyone. This is for all of your family. This is for your people. Keep going. Um, and I just have always had that kind of inner, inner voice in my head. And orthopedics, it's an interesting story. I was going into cardiac store, cardiac surgery until I was about halfway through my third year of medical school. And I had kind of a life epiphany. <laughs> I realized that, you know, I enjoyed the, um, the medicine and cardiac surgery, but it was just a little too heavy for me. I just, I, I had a hard time with people always being on the brink of, you know, critical illness or even death. And I, I had a really hard time with that. Um, and so I really wanted to go forth and and think about how can I most contribute back to my people. I, I, it's no secret to my friends that I want to have a practice in Puerto Rico, um, even if it's a part-time practice. And so I'm like, how can I most help my people? And I mean, I have family members who need hip replacements, knee replacements. They need spinal realignments. There's a whole slew of things that my family members need. And I thought about all the other people on the island that probably need similar care. And I feel like sometimes we say, oh, orthopedics is like the easier surgery specialty. No one's dying. It's a little bit simpler. But you're really giving people back their quality of life and that allows them to work and that allows them to live a longer life. So really you are saving people's lives. And so that was for me a huge motivator. And I started to feel myself switching a little bit and then COVID hit <laughs> and I took a research year um, because there was an opportunity available and I took it and, you know, it's been kind of hundred miles per hour ever since heading towards orthopedics. I, I fell in love with it and, and I feel like this was definitely the right field, especially with an engineering background. <laughs> Right. There's a few things I want to touch on that just like I think are particularly powerful is one, I can hear from you that you've been able to really have a focus on like your central why throughout the entire journey, because I've had a lot of those moments too in medical school, where I'm looking at my friends and I'm like, 
like my life sucks right now. Like, <laughs> why are my friends like hanging out? Like, what is like, you know, talking about going and taking road trips together and stuff. And it's not even a thought that I could, you know, consider. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, having something where you can be constantly reminded of why you're doing it. And then knowing that in the tail end, you know, you've graduated medical school, you're not doing what you love, that like, it's, it is worth it that you still are able to kind of find fulfillment in what you're doing you know, it's encouraging for me. I'm sure it's going to be encouraging for the people listening because, you know, that why is, is needed because there are some tough times. Um, and then just, again, being able to have that kind of purpose for the specialty that you're doing, I think is going to be able to make you go through residency too, because I'm sure you're going to have even harder times, you know, thinking about that practice that you'll open up in Puerto Rico, helping your people, treating your people, that constant why, um, you know, just like really stood out to me. And I, I think it's super powerful. Um, you mentioned too the the engineering background, so I want to touch on that a little bit because you know I do do my research here on on the people because you guys are just absolutely blow my mind. And I know you went to UPenn and you got a bioengineering and biomedical engineering degree there. You did a master's at UPenn in engineering. I think it was specifically like robotics engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know I think even that research year, which I think we, we could talk about a little bit more at, that you did at Stanford. Were you doing like the 3D topographical scanning kind of deal as like a tool for decision making for like surgical and interventional decision making? All of that is very um, engineering kind of based. So where did that interest come from and how has that kind of led to or been incorporated with your interest in orthopedics? It's funny. The engineering thing was also very, uh, my life is very serendipitous. If I feel the wind blowing me in in a direction and I, you know, I'm, excited about it. I just kind of let the wind blow me that way. And that's, that's what happened in undergrad. I I was tutoring my friend, Jeff, who was an engineer in math and science. And I was in the college of arts and sciences and grumbling a little bit. I wasn't like a huge fan of my liberal arts classes. And I was just kind of figuring out what direction I wanted to head. And he was like, you really should consider being an engineer. And I said, well, I want to go to medical school. And like, you can't like be an engineer and go to medical school because I don't know. Right. I had no idea. Um, And he was like, that's, no, 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 you, you can, you, it's just harder. Like you, you're going to work a lot harder um, than you are working right now, but you can totally do it. And I was like, huh, that's kind of crazy. I told my dad, who's an electrical engineer. And he was like, that is a terrible idea. You want to be a doctor? Stop it. You're getting distracted. Blah. You know, like classic Hispanic father throwing a fit. And, you know, it turned out to be the best decision I've ever made because that was just kind of an inkling. I had this like inception kind of seed that wouldn't go away. And I just loved it. I mean, I transferred to engineering. I loved every second of those classes. I realized that I'm the kind of brain that likes to fix. Like, I want to fix. I don't want to talk about it and think about it. I want to think about it enough so that I can fix it. And I want to see it fixed in front of my eyes. Um, And that's kind of where the, the divide is, I think, between like theoretical physicists and like engineers, right? And that's also where the divide is between those medically focused folks and surgeons, right? Like, it just seemed like it all kind of fell into place. Like I want to fix, (laughs) I don't want to sit there and think about it and talk about it for too long. Um, And so that led me to engineering. I loved bioengineering, uh, but I actually minored in mechanical engineering because I realized halfway through, like my focus within bioengineering was very mechanically focused and I loved it. And I was considering double majoring. And then I had a really good mentor who was like, well, why don't you just get a master's? We have a really good robotics program here and you'd really benefit from putting everything you've learned together you're going to work again, really hard. You're going to keep working harder, but you know, it's worth it. And I thought to myself, you know, a master's isn't a bad idea. I don't feel like applying to med school yet. I don't feel like applying to, you know, jobs yet. I was just honestly, it was just like, I want to enjoy my senior year, but I also want to like have a direction. 
So I decided to pursue the robotics masters because at Penn, it's like if you're an undergrad and you're doing well enough, they're like, okay, like fill out the sheet of paper. You can do a master's. You don't have to take any exams. So I did that. Um, And I remember thinking like, wow, this would be like, I'm kind of happy I did this because I don't think this is going to be my path. But if something happens to me in medicine and, you know, like, God forbid I get into an accident or something and I can't be a surgeon anymore, I can be an engineer. This is great. You know, like you can be like a manager at an, at an engineering firm or a consultant or things like that. There's just a lot of directions you can take. And I remember thinking, even when I was like 19 years old in college, thinking, huh, engineering seems like it's a good backup plan. This is great. Seriously, that's most <laughs> people's first to, thing. I know. <laughs> then I went to medical school and I, I was very fortunate to have gotten into Stanford. I was very laser focused on trying to get in there because they have a really excellent, solid engineering school. And the mentors that are at Stanford were my pen mentors, mentors from when she was a PhD student there. So it was like a big like connection between that between my engineering mentors and Stanford. And also I was doing cardiac research at Penn. And the mentors from my Penn grew crew were kind of over also at Stanford. There's like a big connection between the two schools that I didn't really know about until I was applying to med school. Um, but it ended up being great. I, I ended up actually also working at Intuitive Surgical because I was in Silicon Valley. So I was like, I'm going to get some experience in tech. Why not? Um, and so I did a little bit of that as well, uh, helped a product get to the FDA. And I just loved kind of putting everything together. Like, you know, like I loved the engineering stuff. I loved the medicine. I kind of didn't want to pick one or the other. I wanted to like smush it all together into a ball that made sense. And it, it kind of just worked out that way. Like, I wish I could say that I was like making calculated moves at every point leading to a certain direction, but I was making calculated moves. Like I made sure, like if I took this path all the way forward, where would this take me? And I made sure that like that destination wasn't crazy, but I really wasn't, you know, I didn't have this like crafted idea early on of what I wanted my career to look like. I just like followed what I was passionate about very aggressively. And and it just kind of worked out that way that I ended up falling into robotics, falling into orthopedics, and then ending up here. Like it was just very serendipitous, honestly, as, as silly as that sounds, it was like a lot of mini calculated moves that led me led to me putting this like puzzle together that just made a lot of sense. But it's not that I knew what the puzzle was going to look like at the end. Right. Sure I got sense. you. No, it does. That, that <laughs> definitely makes a ton of sense. Um, and yeah, that's, that's amazing. And I think like one thing that you talk on is you follow the passion in the moment and then other opportunities come about in that once you follow that. And then it just kind of keeps building on itself. And you don't necessarily have to have this detailed five-year plan of where exactly you'll be. Because like one opportunity mm-hmm. opens up another opportunity, which exposes you to another interest. And then by the end of the day, you have this conglomerate of experiences and interests that then you can form into your own kind of thing that makes you Josie, which is amazing. So many people come on the podcast too, and they emphasize like, oh yeah, this opportunity, this door opened because I was here and this person knew somebody over there or, you know, and it's just like, it's something that I continue to hear over and over and over again. For, for me too, I went to undergrad at Duke and I had a crazy knee surgery and my surgeon, I'm from Denver. And he was like, what are you doing this summer? And I was like, I'm, I'm going home. And he was like, okay, here is one of my colleagues, closest friends out in Denver, hit him up. And then I hit him up. I was hanging out with him for uh, a summer ended up doing two years of uh, being his research assistant after graduating undergrad in Denver. And so it's just like those kind of things, connections, network. I have really appreciated that that is like at the foundation of professional advancement and in kind of that Mm -hmm. kind of deal. It's always encouraging to hear how that plays a role in other people's life like yours too. 
And I think like, as we discussed previously, uh, you know, I think if you have your why and you have this like stubborn, just perseverance to do what you want to do, it doesn't really matter what like squiggly path you take to get to the end. And I think Megan Vatajo would say the same thing um, that, you know, a lot, it seems on the outside, like we all have it together and we've all been making these calculated moves, but really we've just been kind of like following along like ants, like following the, following the food. And it, it led in the right direction. We had the right motivations. We had the right mentors along the way. And it just worked out, um, which I know is scary. Cause you're like, well, what if, what if that doesn't happen for me? You know, like I know a lot of people listening are probably like, well, I feel lost. I don't know what to do. And it's not that we've never felt lost. We felt lost 90% of the time, but the 10% of the time that you're making those big moves that are life-changing moves, that's what matters. Mm-hmm. And it's okay if the other 90% of the time you're just like flailing around, you don't know what's going on. Like that's the majority of people, no matter what they tell you. Oh, everyone <laughs> listening, seriously, like you're hearing this from one of the most successful people, you know, that I think I've ever had the opportunity to speak with talking about how 90% of life felt like being lost. Um, and so for me hearing that where, for example, I actually spent last week, I'm on my surgery rotation and I spent last week in CV um, and you know, you sounds like you loved it. It's been tough for me. <laughs> and, you know, especially as a medical student, because the other rotations I've had, I've been able to be a little more involved. It's hard to kind of ask to be involved when you're trying to like solve somebody's aorta, you know, that's like, okay, let me like take a step <laughs> back. I understand. Oh yeah. Um, you know, but those, like, even some of those times I'm like, if I'm standing there and it's just kind of like eight hours have passed in this super long operation and I'm like, do I, do I like this? Like, I don't know if I, <laughs> do I want to be a surgeon? Do I even like medical school? Um, <laughs> and so it's an, always encouraging to hear that, you know, these thoughts aren't just my own and that other people feel cer- certain kind of aspects of that. So you went to Stanford and ball out at Stanford, do all these amazing things, meet all these incredible people. And then COVID hits and you take a, a research year Um, I know so many people right now are kind of going into taking a research year one because, you know, I think orthopedics is becoming more and more competitive than ever. Um, And then for two, just because, you know, orthopedics has a lot of research opportunity and, you know, it's something that people interested in ortho are usually also interested in research. Um, So I know you said COVID played a role into the decision making in the taking a research year, was there anything else? And then what were some of the benefits that you felt like you gained from that research year? There are so many. And I'm someone that's taken time off whenever I wanted to. So if I felt even an inkling that I wanted to take years off, I did it. Like that's what I did with undergrad to med school transition. Um, Even like I had some space between my master's and applying to med school because I had always been told by people ahead of me, if you feel like you need a t- need time off, if you feel like you want to do research, pursue something else, just do it. Like medicine is always going to be there. Residency will always be there. Just take the time that you need because the more you follow your passion, the like lower likelihood that you burn out faster, if that makes sense. Um, you shouldn't just push through for the sake of pushing through as much as some people tell you to. Um, and I think my research year was already something I was contemplating, especially as I was really hitting this crossroads between, you know, cardiac surgery, general surgery, orthopedic surgery. I was like really having a hard time choosing and, um, COVID hit, I had a mentor reach out and say, Hey, we have this really cool project. We just need someone who can take off with it. And I said, okay, I'll take off with it. And that was my 3d scanning, uh, project in scoliosis. And, you know, I, I'm so happy I did that because I got to take that project from the beginning and, you know, I'm still involved in it and it's like getting bigger and bigger 
you know, I was able to do so much with that one project, but I also had a lot of other projects I could get involved in, in that lab while also like having this one project that was like my child that I like really cared about. Um, the other thing about a research year is that you are near a hospital, right? So like if you're doing your research year affiliated with an academic center, you can be in the operating room, you can go to clinic, you can like have FaceTime with these attendings who otherwise wouldn't get to know you well or only get to know you in a research setting. So I was pretty steadfast in making sure that I was going to clinic as much as I could, going to the operating room as much as I could. And even if you're in a program where you can't scrub in, you know, because you don't have malpractice insurance for your research year, et cetera, just being in the operating room and being able to like be in that environment and get to know people, that like makes you a more present person that they then remember down the road. And it also kind of reinforces or doesn't reinforce what your choice is going to be. You might get to the end of a research year and be like, this is not what I want to do. And as scary as that is, that happened to a couple of my friends and they're fine. They're very happy with the directions that they took. But the benefit is you have a little extra time to figure out, like really solidify or kind of pivot and change your direction. And either way, you're getting good research, you're, you know, buffing up clinical skills, you're working on everything that's going to ultimately help you be a better resident down the road. And so I think if you're even debating taking a research year, if you can find a way to do it, you should do it. Um, I know some people say, man, these research fellowships are so, so, so hard to apply to. They're so competitive. I was very fortunate and I just applied to an internal pool of funding at Stanford. I didn't have to apply to a research fellowship. But for those that don't have, you know, research programs at their school and they can't get research fellowships, something like that happens, but they really want that time off. There are so many creative ways you can find a way to do that. You can get a typical job and find ways to maintain your access to the system that your school is part of or that another school is part of. And then that way you can do research and like it's unpaid, but you're still getting FaceTime with these attendings. You're still getting FaceTime with these residents that you're working with. And you're still kind of getting the same, you know, benefit to a degree that other people at research fellowships are getting. You're just doing it in a little bit different of a way. There's like a huge chunk of us that can't afford to just like not work for a year and, and you know, ha- be funded by someone else. Like that's just so unrealistic for most people, but there are creative ways to do that. Like you can find a way to do it. You just have to think outside the box a little bit and talk to people like, you know, like us that just applied and like ask people for ideas about how you can go about doing that. Um, but don't feel trapped. Like I have to apply in four years, even though I really want to take a research year because I can't find an opportunity. Like there's ways to do it. You just have to start thinking about it early enough that you have time to kind of finesse and find a way to go about doing it. Right. No, that, that makes a ton of sense. And I, uh, I think I never thought of myself as like taking a research year, but I feel like I kind of took a research year before medical school because I ended up taking those two years before undergrad. And, and that was also because, you know, I also received the good advice that you mentioned of if you want to take time off, especially before you get into med school, like take it now, enjoy your life. I got married like a month after graduating. So I was like, the last thing I'm going to do is like start my marriage and start medical school at the same time. Yes, smart. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I don't know if my wife would like me soon after. But um, and so I spent that time, too. And that for me, that was one of those things where orthopedics was the only thing I had known just mostly because of my injuries. So I got to be able to spend two years. And for me, that was one of those things that solidified my interest in it. But I'm happy that I had that experience because it would have also allowed me to make a pivot before, you know, committing tuition and four years of life into medical school if that wasn't something I necessarily wanted to do. 
And then again, being able to spend time in the clinic, in the OR, I think those things are always undervalued for that time that, that you get. Um, because, you know, like we briefly mentioned, relationships are like everything. And not only are you going to be learning when you're in the clinic and the OR and you'll start to kind of see how things operate because it's a, you know, well-oiled machine and things that just get comfortable with that. But just kind of like being on somebody's hip for a year is like one of the probably most impactful things for somebody's career. Um, and so, yeah, the research taking year, taking a year to do research, regardless of if it's research or whatever else, you know, I think those things can be super powerful. And you don't have to feel like you have to follow the same line, you know, make your squiggly line, you know, like, like you mm -hmm. mentioned, I love that. What were some of the things that you did in medical school? So we know research, was there anything else that you felt like made you this like extremely standout applicant? I think, you know, when you talk to people, they always say work hard, right? You have to work hard. But I think the definition of work hard is different for different people. And work hard for me meant I am going to be the most reliable person I can possibly be. Like when my mentor, who I knew was a big name in orthopedics, when he asked me for something or when she asked me for something, I had a couple of mentors. I did it. Like if, if I got an email at 11 PM the day before an exam, I, I'm not sleeping. Like I'm finishing what I need to finish and sending it to them as soon as possible. And then I take my exam. Like I do what I have to do. That was my motto, like the entirety of my research year and my fourth year, like do what you have to do, do what you have to do. Like you are not going to stand out by just working hard. Everyone going into orthopedics works hard. You have to be like this, like unflappable, unmovable person that gets it done no matter what, like you will find a way if it's a massive rock, you'll find a way around it. Like you don't have to move it. You'll find a way around it. And that was really like that, that was like always my mentality from the minute I hit clinical rotations to the minute I graduated, that was like a hundred percent. I was like, I'm going to be the best. I'm going to be the best. I'm going to be the best. And you know, what's interesting in this discussion is I've talked to Megan about this ad nauseum. I don't know if that was just like, I want to succeed. That was like, I'm a Hispanic woman. I'm not a typical person in this field. And people already don't think that I deserve to be here. So I want to be so good that there is no question that I deserve to be here. Like that was always my motivation. Like I want to re represent my people well. I want people to know what we're capable of. There's only 3% of orthopedic surgeons who are Latino in the country. And I said, I want people to have absolutely no doubt of the, the absolute like powerhouses that we can be in this field if you just give us a chance. And so that for me, like, it wasn't just my internal motivation. Like I want to be the best. It was like, I want to represent my people as well as I can. And I put, you know, that, that wasn't easy. It was, it was a rough road. I definitely was a little too hard on myself. Um, but that was always my motivation. Like everything I did, I thought back to that. And that meant on clinical rotations, I got there earlier than I would ever think that I needed to be there because otherwise I'm late because I'm Hispanic and it's genetic. Um, and then I stayed as late as I needed to. And I didn't do like, you know, I wasn't like constantly saying, how can I help? How can I help? How can I help? I was like aggressively watching every environment I was in and making my own like internal calculation for like, how can I be helpful? Where can I insert myself? Where can I insert myself? And being very conservative in where I inserted myself. So I wasn't coming across as annoying, but I was working as hard as I could to be a foundational member of the team. Um, and that's a really hard line to toe. Like it's, it's the hardest part about being a medical student, I think is figuring out how to be helpful without being in the way. Um, but I was really calculated about that throughout my research, throughout my clinical rotations, throughout any 
anything that I got involved in in medical school. Um, and I also just, you know, was really kind to staff. I think that is that is something that makes you stand out that so many people don't focus on. So many people go on their away rotations, go on their clinical rotations, and they like are so focused on impressing the attending and the residents, they forget about everyone else. And like the people that stand out are the people that like when environmental services walk by, not only are you giving them high fives, you know their name, you know about their kids, like you know their whole life story, you like bring them food. Like that's the kind of person that stands out. Um, and I feel like a lot of people are so focused on their academic prowess that they're not focused on like the human piece of medicine and like, you know, just being a good team member that everyone wants to be around. Like you walk in the room and people get excited that you're there. You know, that's, that's something that like, I think is like a very manageable thing that people can focus on. I feel like, like how many papers do I have to publish? What do I need to do? Like what other like crazy patent do I have to publish? Like that is all stuff that will come with time. But what you can work on as a student that's very tangible is like just treat everyone around you really well and make sure that you're the kind of team player that everyone always wants to work with because you're reliable. You get things back to them on time. And, you know, we're not always perfect. Like I'm definitely not perfect at that, but I strive to be as reliable as possible and making sure that, you know, you're just a good team player, not just, you know, in terms of reliability, like I said, but just the kind of person that people want to work with. Um, I think that's, that's something that's very tangible that I focused on in medical school that I think allowed me to stand out a little bit. I, I was like very friendly with staff all the time. Like I walked in the operating room a couple minutes early and I would be like, Hey, what's up? Hey, you know, like that was my goal. I'm really extroverted. So it's easy for me to say, I know my introverted colleagues feel a little bit differently, but there's ways you can interact with people. Even if you're a little bit less, you know, eccentric, like I am, you just have to find your way. Oh, I love it. I love it, Josie. There's there's a few things. Number one, first, like goosebumps on the conversation, you know, of you discussing the what fueled the way that you worked was wanting to represent for your people. And that kind of fueled, you know, 3% of orthopedic surgeons being Hispanic is crazy. And you making sure that there is no doubt that a Puerto Rican woman can be the best orthopedic surgeon that a patient can ever imagine to see. Is not only going to be powerful for you, but for an entire group of people. For me, that was I was like, I felt a sense of like, okay, now I, I'm on. I, I'm going to go and do some. After this conversation, I'm going to get to work and do some stuff. So, <laughs> thank you for the motivation. Um, you bet. And number two, six years old, you you always kind of had this interest in the industry of treating people, and then now you're mentioning, you know, this like humanistic aspects of treating people as a medical student, just treating a colleague well, right? And, you know, that's something that I think has transferred from, you know, six years old. I like treating people. I like making people feel better. To now this extrovert running into the operating room, knowing people's, you know, family, what's up, what's up, you know, that kind of thing. I think that it's something that can get overshadowed, like you said, this kind of idea of we are here because this is what we enjoy doing and it doesn't stop at treating a patient. It doesn't stop at trying to make a patient feel better in terms of their health. Um, and so I really like how you highlighted that. So now we are at the HSS. We've made it. We are back home. Your first year, intern year. Um, how has that been going? How has it been, you know, in Manhattan? I know it's home for you. Um, but yeah, how has residency been so far first year in? I am so thrilled to be home. I mean, I talk about it constantly. Like my, all of my closest friends and my, my family are like, yeah, something's different. Like you just seem at peace in a way that you weren't before. 
Um, and, you know, don't get me wrong. Stanford's a great program. Loved Stanford. Um, but it's hard being that far away from home. You know, when you live, I've lived in the Northeast most of my life. And what I, when I haven't lived in the Northeast, I've lived in like Miami or, you know, areas in the South. And so California was a very different experience for me. Um, so moving out here and coming back home, I mean, you, you saw in my video, I was like hysterical because I was so happy I was coming home. My parents are thrilled that I'm coming home. Um, and so it's, it's just really nice to be training in a familiar environment where you feel like you like know what you're doing. You're not getting used to being in a new place. Um, and I, I'm just more than happy to be back here. As far as intern year, it's been amazing. Like I, I think, you know, they treat us really well here. I'm just, just objectively, we get treated super well here. Um, and so overall has been an amazing experience, but I do want to say, you know, intern year is not easy anywhere you go. It is, it, you know, I'm having a great experience doing a lot of learning, but it is just, it would be a detriment to our specialty to pretend that this is the easiest year ever, especially now having heard about, unfortunately, one of our colleagues out in California who, who didn't make it, you know, that is, that is something that just like, we need to talk about more. Residency is hard. We, we go through all of this training, all of this schooling only to feel like we don't know what we're doing. Everyone assumes we don't know what we're doing. And even when you do know what you're doing yet, people still assume you don't know what you're doing. And you just constantly feel like you're making mistake after mistake after mistake. But something that I'm really coaching myself through and a lot of my colleagues that are interns around the country are coaching ourselves through is how can I reframe that mindset? So I'm not thinking I'm making all these mistakes. I'm thinking I'm solidifying knowledge. I have like the same analogy with the puzzle, right? My puzzle is like empty right now. I have like three pieces down. It's like when you first start a thousand piece puzzle and there's like, they're all the same color. I'm like, I don't even know what side of the puzzle they go on. I'm I'm freaking out. Like if I set a timer, God forbid, I'm not going to make that timer. Um, And the timer is, you know, the five years of residency. So you're thinking, oh my God, how am I going to reach the point that my chiefs have reached the reach the point these attendings have reached? Like, I feel like I know nothing, but you really have to reframe it as like, like I said, you're gradually filling in a puzzle and no one expects you to have the puzzle down or even to know what the puzzle looks like anywhere near your intern year. Like your intern year is to just get used to being a physician. And, you know, that's really easy for us to say. I think it's a lot harder to coach yourself through in practice when you're tired, when you're working crazy hours, when, you know, people are mostly nice to to people here. But, you know, there's the occasional person who's not super friendly. And that can really ruin your day when you're already feeling like a little imposter syndrome and someone starts coming down on you. You're like, man, I stink. (laughs) Should have been a banker. (laughs) Um, but but, you know at the end of the day the the thing about intern year is just like being comfortable with being uncomfortable knowing that the vast majority of things you don't know you don't even realize you don't know yet that's the hard thing um and then as you progress through medicine you're not actually going to get to a point where you know everything you're just going to know what you don't know if that makes sense Mm -hmm. that's something i'm learning from my attendings a lot is like they know so much and we're like, oh my God, they're like dictionaries of orthopedics. This is crazy. But the the thing that makes an attending an attending is not how much they know. It's how much they know that they don't know. Like they are so knowledgeable about their niche that they know exactly what pieces are missing from their knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something to strive towards. Like getting to a point where like you know enough and you're comfortable enough with a foundation to know what's left to learn. 
Um, that's that, like, I'm trying really hard to reframe myself into that mindset. It just, it feels a lot more tangible and manageable that way, rather than thinking I can't stop making mistakes. I'm useless. You know, like that just doesn't help you. Um, but again, it's hard when you're tired. Like I can say this now I'm like, well rested right now. Like when you're tired and you've had a rough week and it's been just like case after case of feeling like, you know, what's going on only to realize you have no idea what's going on. You can get really down on yourself. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but the key to getting through, like I always say, is you have to know your why. You have to know your why and you have to know when to seek help and you have to know when you're not coping properly. Um, I think those are like the biggest things to always remember as you progress from being a medical student to being an intern. You have to know why you're doing this. And if you don't know why you're doing this, then really sit with that. That's the most important thing. And then the next thing, like I said, you just, you have to know when to reach out for help. You have to know when, like, no matter how much you're trying to coach yourself through something, like there's just a lot of negative energy coming out of your own mind. You you have to know when that's coming and that's how you survive intern year. That's, that's really how it is. It's, it's, there's great moments, but there's really low moments. And to be able to hover somewhere in the middle on average, you have to like have those two mindsets at all times, always, always thinking those two things. When am I getting to a point where I need help? What is my why? Always. Right. Oh, that's, that's amazing. And I think hearing that from you, you know, is, is powerful for me, but everybody else listening too, because I like to think of these conversations that I have with people like yourself as like, you know, I am talking, it's like an opportunity to talk to, you know, like an ortho legend, like, like when they were an intern or something. And I know that you are going to achieve the same, you know, things that these ortho legends do and hearing moments like in the presence of, I am currently an intern. Things are hard. I feel like I don't know what's going on. Going to be very powerful for the medical student like myself who walks into a CV case and somebody's like, okay, describe to me this purse string stitch. And I was like, ah, I was only looking at anatomy before I got in here. I was not looking at stitch techniques and now I have to, I don't know, you know, and it's just like, and then you have to kind of talk Mm -hmm. around and I don't know. And then you sit there like, oh, I look like an idiot right now. I wonder if this consultants or attending is thinking of me as like, oh, this med student knows nothing. And now I'm just sitting there like, oh, was that such a dumb wet thing that I said? Or, you know, those things happen. And and like you said, it can be very detrimental. You know, we talk about burnout rates, physician suicide, like you mentioned, recently losing somebody in California. And so, you know, those thoughts sit with us. And it's, I think they sit with us even more if we kind of operate like we're in a closet and we kind of close the door and we don't reach out, we think that we're the only people experiencing these things. We think that we're the only person, you know, that that consultant has had who didn't know an answer, you know, and to hear somebody who has reached the success that you have feeling those things, you know, is really powerful. So thank you so much, Chelsea, for sharing that with us. Um, Because yeah, again, even for me right now, I'm like, okay, it's okay. Stuff is hard. Reach out. Remember my why know that I'm not the only person feeling these things before we know it will be the consultants knowing things and knowing the things that we don't know. And then, you know, it'll be a little easier that way. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) So before we go, this has been an absolutely incredible, incredible conversation. You've already dropped so many just pearls of wisdom. Is there anything, any final words that you want to leave with the listener? You know, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who look up to you. I know there's going to be a lot of, you know, maybe Puerto Rican girls out there, like, I want to be the next, you know, Josie. Is there anything that you want to say to them, to anybody else um, before we conclude here? 
I think if there's anything I can leave you all with, like the number one thing it's, and I say this to undergrads, I say this to medical students, to the high school students, you will make it through if you find a way to forgive yourself for not being perfect. You know, we are so focused on being perfect in medicine and banking, whatever it is, like our, you know, human race. And I think especially in this country, we're just so focused on perfection, so focused on being the best that sometimes we don't forgive ourselves for just not being there yet. It doesn't mean you won't get there. It doesn't mean that you won't eventually reach there. But like Serena Williams wasn't always Serena Williams, you know, like Tiger Woods wasn't always Tiger Woods. All of these legends, they had their moments where they weren't there yet. And at some point they just like, all of a sudden they were the goat. Like it wasn't like, it wasn't like, oh, like I was on this path and and I see myself being the goat. It was like, all of a sudden they won 12 grand slams and now they're the goat. Like, you know, it, you eventually make it there. But the way, the people that never give up are not the people who are perfect are not the people who are like excellent at all times. They're the people that find a way to forgive themselves for not being there yet. And knowing that they will get there. Like every moment in med school that someone swats the suction away because you got in the way, like that is the least experienced with the suction you will ever be, right? Like every day that you hit, you hold that suction in your hand, you're more experienced with the suction. And eventually you're like Mr. Miyagi and the Karate Kid, like in and out with the suction, like so fast, like the flash, they don't even know you're coming in, you know, like eventually you'll get there. Eventually you'll know like even, you know, those of you that are about to apply into residency, like you all remember the first time you scrubbed into the operating room and you felt like you were, you felt like you were a contaminant. Like you walked in and I was like, I'm, I am a contaminant as a person. Um, <laughs> I don't want to touch anything. I don't want to breathe in this room. Um, and now look at you, like, you know, you scrub in and like, you know, what way to turn when the scrub tech is done putting your gloves on. And it's like second nature, like everything eventually will be more like that but it takes time. It takes experience. It takes making a lot of mistakes before you get there. So forgive yourself, forgive yourself, forgive yourself. Every time you make a mistake, you solidify more in your head that you shouldn't do that (laughs) in the future. And even if you make the mistake again, it's another experience to solidify. You shouldn't do it again, you know? Um, So again, I will say it again and again and again, forgive yourself for not being perfect. Forgive yourself for not being there yet. You will get there. You can get there if you know your why, if you know when to ask for help. Wow. Uh, we, we mentioned that the timeliness of this episode would be incredible. Um, and I think that this has been, you know, that times 10, uh, because everything that you've said, the way that you even concluded this episode, you know, super powerful, something that I personally need that I'm sure a lot of people listening to this needs pre-med, med school resident, everybody in this field and just everyone in general. Um, because it's extremely powerful words of wisdom. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Josie. For those listening, make sure to continue to stay tuned in to the ortho plug, stay plugged in. We're going to continue to have amazing guests just like Dr. Okendo. Um, and until the next one, we'll see you guys later.